Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered cold-filtered, and cold-packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Keep all your entertainment options centered with Xfinity X1. Access live TV, Netflix, and now Hulu and Peacock. Ah, streaming zen. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Xfinity X1 gives you the most complete entertainment experience with everything from live TV to your DVR to on-demand favorites and your streaming apps. Just use your voice remote to easily find what you want to watch. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Netflix, Hulu, and Peacock memberships required. This is the Cubs-related podcast presented by CubsInsider.com. My name is Corey. I am joined, as always, by Brendan, and we are coming to you on Monday, April 27th. And we have been in a baseballless world now, Brendan, for over six weeks. Wow. The only way that I have been tracking that number is through the Javi Baez posts I've been posting on the Cubs Insider Twitter account at Real Cubs Insider. Otherwise, I don't think I would know what day of the week it is or what month it is. So luckily, somehow, even without baseball, Javi Baez manages to keep me sane, sort of, so to speak. And when you first started that, you had no idea you would even go this far in the calendar with these videos. I mean, you have enough content with Javi to cover you for at least, what, two years, I feel like? So... You'll be okay. I think it would depend how basic of plays we really wanted to get to. But for those of you that don't know, if you don't follow us uh, at Real Cubs Insider, first of all, a little rude, honestly. (laughs) Uh, It's really all I do for Cubs Insider, so follow us on Twitter. But I just tweet out a Javi Baez video per day until baseball comes back. When that first started, I thought, okay, I can come up with enough Javi content for a couple weeks, right? Like, what's the big deal? That's easy. Here we are at week six. It's still pretty easy, but at some point I'm going to, you know, it's just going to be like, okay, here's Javi with a single to right field. What's your that's it. What's your method for finding Javi plays? What do you usually do? I just look through Twitter and see what looks good. I mean, it's he makes it so easy. I mean, right. I think, you know, we're only at, uh, what, if it's six weeks, I think today was day 45 or something mm-hmm. like that, something close to that. And, you know, if you just think about it, like, I think off the top of most of our heads, not necessarily the defensive plays, maybe you'd have to think about that longer, but you can think of a pretty, like, large handful oh, no of good plays, really, for any player. I mean, even if I said, okay, give me, like— 15 big Rizzo moments that you remember. I think a lot of us could do that like pretty easily. But just like when you peruse through Twitter, like there's just a lot of plays. Like, you know, even when I see them, I'm like, oh yeah. But like off the top of my head, I I wouldn't have necessarily remembered them. Like I shared one from, I believe the 2019 season uh, when the Cubs were playing the Dodgers and they were wearing those like powder bluish road uniforms Mm -hmm. and Javi turn, you know, he just ranges up the middle to get Justin Turner and it's so smooth and easy. And it's not really something like you would have remembered like, oh yeah, that play. But when you're watching it, you're going like, man, I mean, you know, the guy is literally a human. Well, he makes it look so so. easy. Like the, the effortless nature of these plays make it look like they're routines. So that's why he's so, so good at what he does. Yeah. So I think at some point, you know, if we get to like day 100 or 200 or 300, it'll be like, 
Here's that time Javi almost dropped his gum in the playoffs in San Francisco. <laughs> I mean, that was a good right? save, like, too, so to it's his great. credit. Yeah, anything he does is good Everything. content. That's why I picked Javi to do it instead of anybody else. But at a certain point, it is going to be a bit of a reach like as to, okay, like did we really need to see this video again today? But we're not there yet. It's still, it's still pretty easy, and I, I do have some in my back pocket that uh, I, I'm saving. But that's how I know what day it is. Uh, so we are in yet another—that was a very long-winded way of saying that there is still no baseball— uh, we did get a, a little update from Jeff Passan, a little bit of, I don't know if I would even call it news, but at least some insight onto the current thinking in of executives and Rob Manfred and stuff like that. So we'll talk about that shortly, and then we are going to take a cue from ESPN. They had their writers list out some of the best blank, right, certain things that they saw in person. So we're going to do that as well for things that we saw in person. But I wanted to start, Brendan, and I I, I had a, a question for you. And there was an article on the MLB Athletic this morning that Ken Rosenthal wrote where he spoke to the last 10 pitchers to finish a World Series. The premise of the article was, what is it like to be the pitcher that is out on the mound when the World Series ends. And off the top of my head, I, I, I didn't have a chance to look through the article, but I was wondering if you might know, if I clicked on the article, hmm. would I should I expect to see uh, anybody from the Cubs? Yeah, in no, I think there's going to be one person in particular. And I was also thinking, too, not only can we name a Cub, but the real challenge here, Corey, can you name a Dodgers pitcher? Oh, I, I can't. I can't. Wow. Can you name one this decade or last decade or the decade That's before? That's a tough question. So what you're saying is, is that within the last 10 yeah. years, someone on the Chicago Cubs did was the last person on the mound yes. in a World Series, which it, since it was not a walk-off home run, even though it, there were moments where it was very close— that would imply that the Chicago Cubs won the World right. Series. I'm saying, saying they won the World Series when, oh, yeah, when when a Cubs okay. pitcher was on the mound. The Cubs won the World Series. Right, so yeah, okay. And then by contrast, they did not interview Kenley no, Jensen because no. he. Has well, no, they did series. interview him for other reasons, just uh, not for you know being on the mound as the last out. Right. So, yeah. There you go. Fun fact. So for you. if you want to check out that Ken Rosenthal article, there is a little spoiler for you, but Mike Montgomery is in the article because he was the pitcher when the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. Yes, How yes. about that? Anyway, now that we've gotten our weekly bit out of the way here, although a spoiler alert, I'm not done with that for Either the day. We can talk about where we are in the world of baseball. And where we are is kind of what we've been reiterating over and over since this process started that obviously getting baseball back out there is not priority number one, uh, but that there is a lot of money, a lot of employment, and and a lot of things in those kind of spheres that are on the line. And so Major League Baseball continues, as we heard more of on Monday morning, to have the stance that they want to play baseball. And the title of Jeff Passan's article at ESPN is Passan's 20 Questions. There will be MLB in 2020. It's just a matter of when, where, and how. So this is kind of the sentiment that we had heard from a lot of these reporters pretty much, I don't want to say since day one, because things were very uncertain on day one of this process, but we, we've always heard throughout this timeline that they want to do something. We've talked about the Arizona plan. We've talked about the Arizona-Florida plan. We've talked about maybe getting back to everybody's home ballpark, but with no fans, etc. right? Shortened season, tournaments, all of this stuff appears to be on the table. And again, Jeff Passan on Monday coming out and, and pretty matter-of-factly almost with not too much detail, right, but basically saying, like, look, they are going to play. They are going to do whatever they can to play baseball. Yeah. And Passan uh, has a letter from Rob Manfred that was sent, uh, I believe, last week. And a quote from him in there is, quote, while I fully anticipate that baseball will resume this season, it is very difficult to predict with any accuracy the timeline for the resumption of our season. So 
reading through this article, he, he covers a lot. He basically asks a lot of the hypothetical questions that anyone would ask in terms of this process and tries his best to answer them, even though obviously there are not necessarily concrete answers to these questions. But one thing that he notes is that they would like to have a decision in May to sort of like finalize what a plan might be. Uh, and and Passon writes that the idea would be to finalize a plan in May to hash out an agreement with the players by the end of the month or early June, give players a week to arrive at designated spring training locations, prepare for three weeks, start the season in July, and play some amount of games and have neutral sites and playing in warm weather states, and obviously this would then be extending into November. Uh, But Passon does go on to say exactly this. I'll read his words. Quote, this is not set in stone or anywhere close to it, but from the league to the players to the owners to the TV executives, this or some derivation of it registers as the most realistic option at this point. So again, that in in a nutshell is trying to finalize a plan, whether it's deciding we're going to do this Arizona thing, we're going to do this Arizona Florida thing, we're going to play at home with no fans, whatever that is. Uh, give them a set date to arrive and kind of get back into game shape and, and have that time to ramp up, have three weeks to do that, and then start the season in July. And he says anywhere 80 to 100 game season that ends in November. He also, though, goes on to talk about some other options. And one of them, Brendan, is basically just a giant tournament. And, and one thing he says that if they hash out a plan, they start to ramp back up, and there is a second wave of this virus that kind of pulls things back as we now see states sort of start to figure out when they're going to reopen even you know the, the more essential things and things like that slowly. If it came back and they had to pull things back again, he throws out this idea of just shutting it down and then coming back as late as you can and doing some sort of giant tournament, which he details in this article, this like kind of hypothetical idea. And he, he has quotes from one baseball official that says, give us 60 days and we could run an amazing tournament. And if you read through this, it's pretty nuts. It kind of sounds like a World Cup, basically, where you would kind of have a round robin, you'd have pools, and it would start in October 1st is how Passon outlines it. And then it would end basically over Thanksgiving with a seven-game World Series that kind of proceeds as normal. So there's a lot being talked about. Um, And again, a lot of this is hypothetical, but as we've said since the beginning of this process, we kind of just want to update where everything is and what the current like paradigm, I guess, is in terms of the discussions as it relates Mm -hmm. to Major League Baseball and how they might return. So there was an awful lot in this article. It's a long article uh, and a lot of hypotheticals, a lot of different questions that he tries to answer. Uh, but did you have any like gut reactions to this, Brendan? I think the the thing that's the most interesting for me is, and again, I get it. I know how much is on the line. I, I, I know how vital it is to a lot of these organizations, especially the ones that don't have as much money as some of the other teams, all the employees, the players, TV deals, etc. But their like insistence that this is going to happen, you know, is at, at least a little bit surprising to me. I mean, they don't seem to have any concrete answers to all of this. There seems to be plenty of questions you could ask about any of the plans that they would even put in place. But they they are pretty adamant that one way or another they are going to do something resembling Major League Baseball in the year 20. Well, it's all, too, because we're getting more information about testing. And when Anthony Fauci's on TV and talking about baseball and his confidence that it can come back in a month or two months, it, it gives me optimism as well. But that's what we've been saying for a while, and that's what Jeff Paston's been highlighting and many, you know, executives in baseball have been saying the exact same thing is that they're going to follow the public health experts. And the, the main issue has been testing. We keep hearing testing, testing, testing. So that 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 to me is encouraging. But the one part of Passon's article that stood out was the worst case scenario. And the worst case scenario is 
What about a resurgence? If there is a resurgence, what would that do to baseball in 2020? And having the NCAA World Cup-esque type tournament, it is a worst-case scenario, but at least it's being mentioned. And so you have to imagine, if that's going to be in October, you know, it, it, it gives me confidence that we're going to see baseball at some point, right? Like, that was one issue with the KBO, the Korean Baseball Organization, where you had the idea if you were going to have another resurgence, you may have to shut down the season entirely. And so with Major League Baseball, if that happens, you're not going to shut it down, or at least right now, it's not going to be a point of preparation, of shutting down the league. And that, that to me, gives me confidence that at some point, we're going to see baseball. Now, does a World cup S style tournament, I guess, kind of pique my interest? Yeah, yeah, it does. It would be a little odd, not going to lie, but at this point, we'll take anything. That being said, it seems to me like the most likely scenario, given the timeline, given what we're hearing from local governments, federal government, that the three stadium hub, whether it's Arizona, Florida, Texas, maybe somewhere else they're discussing, that seems one realistic, feasible, and something that will more or less resemble a normal season, given that you're going to have 80 to 100 games you're going to mitigate some of the travel issues. And so that, in turn, might help some of these players' health, might help some of their uh, stamina, if you will, not having to travel so often. So I am optimistic. I, I am. I think right now we're going on a day-by-day basis. And in a week, we already saw what happened from last Monday to this Monday with our optimism. Maybe by next Monday, we'll have more of an idea, more of a tangible idea of what to expect, especially because this week, Hopefully, the country will be making progress on scaling up testing capacity and finding resources to you know, put out some of those hot pockets once the country more or less opens back up. So overall, it is encouraging, Corey. I've been riding a motorcycle for 52 years. I started having back pain that turned into the knee pain. I couldn't even sit on the motorcycle. I was like, oh man, am I going to have to give up riding bikes? Kaiser Permanente, they decided I needed a hip replacement. So I was going to do it through outpatient surgery <laughs> panned out great recovered overnight was home by 11 o'clock the next morning i'm glad i made the choice for kaiser permanente i'm enjoying life every medical case is unique kaiser foundation health plan in the mid-atlantic states 2101 east jefferson street rockville maryland 20852 why why there's such an insistence on this i think that passon does note he he's he asked the question, what happens to the players if there isn't baseball? And I think that these three bullets kind of illustrate why you might have guys get on board with some of these ideas. And outside of the owners, which I don't really think anybody cares about or shouldn't care about to a certain degree, but like outside of the employees and the broadcasters and the owners and stuff like that, like just thinking about the players, he he asked, what happens to the players if there isn't baseball? So kind of trying to inform like why is there such pressure to get this done and why might the players agree to something that's kind of crazy and he says a few things none of them are particularly good so (laughs) one he says instead of the four billion dollars plus in collective salary they're owed they get 170 million they negotiated in a late march agreement with major league baseball that money runs out at the end of may which for leverage purposes again aligns with there being movement toward a plan around that time like i said before trying to kind of formulate a plan to get back out there in may and then figuring out when you're going to execute that number two he says the players will head into a year in which the collective bargaining agreement expires and owners will be bracing for a fight to reap as much money as they can to make up for losses in 2020. Number three, he says everybody gets a year older and while the agreement grants players a full year of service in the event of a lost season, those who reach free agency are greeted with a depressed market. He goes on to say that numbers two and three are still possible even if the games are played, but they are more likely in an environment where the sides haven't worked together to create a forward-looking partnership. So again, that that's kind of, I mean, I think obviously from a business perspective, the lack of games, the lack of anything to broadcast, the lack of fans, merch, food, etc., yada yada, I think it's pretty easy to figure out why <laughs> that's not a good thing for the owners for the team i mean they're they're, they're gonna they're gonna come the to some type of agreement at this point everyone's losing right. money you can't you can't afford to lose even more money so 
that's right. not a concern for me. But the, this this player perspective is is one that I think is important to keep in mind too, because I think I think obviously you look at this Arizona plan, very easy to see. Like, okay, if your new father Chris Bryant, like, what is your energy level or what is your interest level in being quarantined basically in Arizona? And is your family allowed to go? Are you in a hotel? Are you allowed to leave the hotel? How is that all working? Like what? And I think it's easy to see like, okay, I don't know how excited I would be for that if I had a newborn and obviously my wife at home dealing with our child, you know, how excited would I be for that? But these are some legitimate questions and the, the collective bargaining agreement expiring and them having to get back together. I know a lot of people were already concerned about that, but then you factor in what's going on now and it gets a lot more dicey to think about how that negotiation and, and those talks are going to go. And I think as we talked about, the free agency stuff is pretty screwy. Uh, and I think for a lot of guys, you know, if you're Mookie Betts, as amusing as it would be for the Dodgers to have traded for him and ultimately not play any games in a Dodgers uniform, like I think someone like Mookie Betts goes into a free agent market and he's, you know, he's probably fine, right? I think most people understand he's one of the best players in the league. He should get a big contract. It shouldn't be that big of a deal. But you have a lot of other guys who may be really adversely uh, affected by that. You know, you're going to be coming off a situation where the league is is obviously losing revenue. So what are those contracts going to look like? And you're going to have to have teams, front offices, Brendan, making decisions on players that haven't really played in over a year. And you look at some of the, you know, you look at on, on the Cubs, like that would make John Lester a free agent. I, I've talked to, you know, I would guess that his motives would be to return to the Cubs, if anything, I think the only other place he would probably go would be Atlanta because that's where he lives. But I think because of his reputation, he's probably fine. But you look at other guys who are of similar age and who don't have the pedigree that John does. Like if you're a front office, Brendan, how do you evaluate a guy that's 34, 35, and you haven't really seen him play in a year and what kind of shape are they going to be in after not playing a full season and kind of going on this ramp up ramp down type schedule and so I think that there's pretty easy to see motive for some of these players to try to do something right so you look at Chris Bryant's situation and you look at Mookie Betts situation and other notable potential free agents within the next year or two people are making less money throughout the entire league it's it's to me there's no doubt that Mookie Betts is going to make less money in free agency this year there's just no doubt about it it's, it's a depressed market so with that being said you look at Chris Bryant would he be more inclined to sign an extension but not just Chris Bryant's perspective like I'm a little concerned too with the Cubs financial and this is all speculative right it's not to say oh they're gonna have no money or Ricketts won't spend but given what we've seen with the financial restrictions the past year and a half I do wonder if sure. playing a shortened season's going to make it even more challenging to sign Chris Bryant to an extension and for example Javi Baez we heard about all these negotiations before spring training during spring training is that going to be a point of emphasis this season to get him extended? Can they do it? Do they want to do it? And that, that to me, is going to be, uh, if not the greatest consequence of a shortened season. You're going to have, you're going to have a shortened season and kind of an asterisk maybe for a World Series winner because of this, but it, this is going to have consequential effects for the next several years, Corey, and how that affects the Cubs' outlook how that affects just baseball's outlook is going to be something that the league has never seen and nothing I think you can project. Yeah, it's it's a tricky situation. And actually, when you read further in the article, Jeff Passan actually notes that in theory for some of these teams, this doesn't, this idea wouldn't help them. You know, he notes that like some teams could make the argument that the broadcast rights or whatever they were doing if there weren't fans and stuff like that like that it doesn't cover their operating costs and money is still an issue he says it would be catastrophically stupid if the deal fell apart because of I mean, stuff it's not like gonna that fall because apart. it well, yeah and he says that but it's just interesting to note that like there there's not specifically a perfect solution here i think is is the real point so 
again, uh, that is kind of the update on things, and that is really where it is. Now, we heard from Mayor Lightfoot in Chicago on Monday. Uh, she was asked if you know she can envision baseball in Chicago this summer at all. She said, yes, I can possibly see it, but not with fans. Yeah. Uh, obviously, that is not a set in stone little caveat there too she's not communicating with those in baseball so we we don't know if she's and she really just probably a gut feeling like do you think this is literally right and And she said yes so to to say oh well maybe we're gonna go back to wrigley and teams are gonna go yeah no i I would not i mean plus once once you lock into this three hub season like Maybe they will put in some contingency ideas in case they can go back, but it seems problematic to change the schedule just like that. I just I, I would be shocked if we see baseball at Wrigley uh, this year, unfortunately. Yeah. So there's a lot to consider. I, I would direct you to this article uh, at ESPN.com in their MLB section. It's called Passons 20 Questions because I think it's it's difficult to kind of cover all these nuances because really once you start to zero in on even any of these hypothetical plans, you can kind of ask a million questions that break down any idea, whether it's regular stadiums, no fans, Arizona, anything like that. And I think he covers it the best that he can. Uh, I think the general premise is, is that we're all kind of just waiting and, and going along with whatever they ultimately decide to do. And no matter what, there isn't really a perfect solution, and there's going to be concessions that have to be made uh, from one side or another, by, and, and that's just really how it is. But to kind of get back to the beginning point and, and you know maybe the takeaway, they're pretty adamant that they're going to do something in this particular year. And obviously, that's dependent on a lot of things, and we'll follow along with what those things are. But that is the update that we have for you this week. This stuff kind of seems to evolve very slowly, but uh, week by week, you know, sometimes a couple times a week. But that is kind of the big news drop that we had on Monday, some of these ideas and, and questions being answered by Jeff Passan. But again, nothing really set in stone, and a lot of this could fall apart pretty quickly. A lot of this could be changed in a positive way, uh, you know, pretty quickly. I don't, I, you know, I'm not a doctor, so I don't necessarily expect that. But, you know, if, if things happen in the testing front and the, the medical front, you know, then maybe they have different discussions altogether. I don't know. So we're just going to have to keep monitoring this. And once they do come to a decision or, you know, then we can really dig in on, okay, let's look at the Chicago Cubs and let's take a look at how this affects them. Like you said, Brendan, how does this affect Chris Bryant, Javi Baez, guys like John Lester, who would be a free agent, etc. And let's really dig into this. But until then, it's, you know, kind of up in the air and, and mostly hypothetical. So that is your kind of real world update for this week. And now we kind of get back to what on earth should we talk about? And this week, uh, again, like I said, taking a cue from ESPN, they asked their MLB reporters to give them the following, the best home run, the best game, the best prospect, and the best defensive play that they have ever seen, but the caveat being you had to see it in person. So can't be stuff you saw on TV or heard Pat Hughes eloquently describe in vivid detail over the radio. They also did behind-the-scenes moments, but Brendan and I are not actually reporters, so I don't really have an answer for that. I don't know if you would have an answer for that. I, I'm not I'm not allowed behind-the-scenes, so I, I do not have zero uh, answers, good, no. Yeah, I do not have a good answer for that. Um, I, I was in a bathroom with CM Punk during one of the there you go. playoff games. I, I don't know if that counts. Did you talk to him or no? It's not baseball related. No, oh, okay. uh, we were in the bathroom. Right? I don't know. But, you got to well. I don't know what are the rules of of the trough right. at Wrigley. I, I don't really know what the uh, maybe you can talk about the game. I don't know, but I didn't. But anyway, going to some of these questions, just because I think this is kind of a a more interesting take on things. Uh, Brendan, why don't you start us off with what you remember to be the greatest home run you this saw is easy. in person? This is easy, Corey. It's uh, David Bodie's walk-off Grand Slam. I mean, it's no doubt about that. We were both, we're at, both that at that game. Not sitting together at Not the moment, together, but uh, we, we were together earlier in that game. But yeah, that that's the yeah. best one. I mean, th- there is no 
description of that of that feeling. But the the takeaway from those types of walk off home runs, and you've seen way more walk off Cubs home runs than me. I've seen plenty of my own walk off home runs in Arizona, but the the feeling and like the the sensory input that you get once that ball hits the bat is unlike anything else in sports. Maybe the only comparison is like a buzzer beater shot when the player you know throws up the shot and it's dead silent. When you have a moment, a high leverage moment, and the pitcher throws the ball for a split second, it is dead quiet. And the next thing you hear is the bat followed by just an uproar. And so those are the moments that make sports the most exciting. And so David Bodie's home run for me, no questions asked. A, a follow-up probably, oh man, I don't, I don't know if I have a, a, a logical follow-up. I think the, the second most exciting offensive play, if, if I have to like have a constellation, would be Javi Baez's bases-clearing double in uh, Game 5 of the NLCS at Dodger Stadium just because the the view of seeing every Dodgers fans walk up from their chair to the concessions out the door was remarkable. We're talking thousands, Corey, thousands of fans yeah. walking out of the stadium when Javi Baez put the Cubs up 8-1 to in Game 5 of the NLCS. But outside of that, David Bodie's walk-off home run, easily number one, no questions asked. You added a... Uh, uh, a secondary I one did. there that was pretty much just blatantly well, I had to. Dodger I had fans to. because well but the the question wasn't offensive I plays know. it was just well, home I runs know. so you added that in there specifically just <laughs> to yeah, rag on the Dodgers not? but because it was against the <laughs> rules but I, I think I think the answer is the David Bodie home run I mean we were both at that game but I think I've been to bigger moments and and you know we talk about like the Montero home run a lot and the Javi Baez home run in in game one of the NLDS against the Giants and like in the moment and the gravity of those plays and stuff like that were, were certainly more important than David Bodie's home run but I think like I don't know how you beat a literal you know they call it an ultimate grand slam for a reason and it just is such a, a fascinating play, and, and the the way that it flips the game is unlike anything else. Right. And so I, I think that almost inherently has to be the answer. Is it the most important? No. What would be the most important is, for you? Like, it's all subjective. Well, we've had that, We you and I have had that argument before. I don't really know what the exact answer is to that, but I, I think the two I mentioned already, and then you can take your pick from... Uh, one of the few in Game Seven of the World yeah. Series, and I would also go back to Kerry Woods in two thousand three. So you're you're there game. in person for all of these. That's like amazing. Like the, all those crucial moments of Cubs history, you were there. You should be proud you know, of that. Brendan. The decision to spend <laughs> most of my money on Cubs tickets and uh, Maybe not prioritize my time that way really paid off in the 2015, 2016 We season, never talked about so. Dexter Fowler's leadoff home run, though. I mean, you're you're there, right? Like. What was it like around the ballpark? I know people are still... I've explained this to you many times. I mean, I I did not celebrate a moment of that game until the umpire held up his I mean, hand. no fist pumps, nothing? You just sat there? I, I remember thinking, I can't believe he just hit a home run to lead off Game 7 of the World <laughs> Series, and kind of just over and over in my head going, they're winning one to nothing in Game 7 of the World Series, okay? Yeah. Like, all right. You know, but... But I, I just knew it was such a long, you know, it was it was such a long journey to get there. They hadn't recorded one out yet, obviously, and so it was just like, all right, let's not get ahead of ourselves. Like I've I've watched this movie play out very poorly many times before, so let's just take it minute by minute. They're up one to nothing. This is great, and I I I could appreciate the gravity of it. Like I mean, obviously, it was insane. But I am way too neurotic to have allowed myself to be like, yeah, like they're up one to nothing. Let's go. You yeah. know, it was just like, okay, like, okay. I mean, same reaction you with Hobby's home run. Business keeps rolling. Uh, I think the one that this is the game seven. Yeah, home I run. think I'm his not, not, and yeah, Ross's. Yeah. I I was I was more pumped up about because they were 
you know, getting runs back or they were extending the yeah. lead. And I, I just remembered like kind of, you know, like Ross's extended or got the runs back. And I remember, you know, just kind of thinking like how important that was and being like sort of relieved more than anything. Like, oh, phew, <laughs> like they got one back. Uh, but yeah, no, I mean, there's just no, there's no celebrating in a game seven until Rizzo caught that ball. I mean, it's just, well, when Zobris got the hit, because for whatever reason, I was just positive they were going to win after that. I can't explain that. No, I was that, not. But I was not. Yeah, I think we've debated that. I don't know why I felt that way. I just felt like if we got this far and he actually got the hit, they're just going to win this game. I, I they, It can't it can't go poorly again. For, forget this. But so I, I think, you know, you could argue like the most impactful, the most important, like the, the biggest in Cubs history. But I think like purely like just from a baseball standpoint, I, I don't know how you beat a walk-off Grand Slam uh, when the team is trailing three to nothing. I, I mean, with two outs and everything, like that's just the most impactful and kind of like reverse the win probability gap uh or graph play that you can have and so i think it's i think it sort of has to be that i mean it was just a crazy thing to witness like it's it's one of those things that in your wild you know when they're trailing three to nothing in your wildest thoughts you're like man wouldn't it be crazy if they hit a grand slam to win you know what i think about though i think Uh, about chris bryant's fly ball in the 10th that amor attacks up on you know like that was so close to being out and someone yeah. posed a question, like, what would that have done to Chris Bryant's legacy? I mean, we, we always go on this podcast and, like, debunk and joke about the perception that he's not clutch, right? And he was two feet away from a home run, took an inside fastball almost almost yard. Could you imagine, Corey, like, of everything Chris Bryant's done in his Cubs career? And there's dozens of high-leverage clutch, uh, clutch hits that, that we've talked about. If he hit that home run in Game 7 of the World Series, yeah. he would have become the honest to God. Like, he may have surpassed Sammy Sosa at that point. Like, Well, especially, I mean, he had big homers in the two games yeah. just before And that. people forget so, about I that, mean, too. that really would have turned things on ahead right. for, I think, his, his whole narrative, I guess. Um, so... I think that's home run. I think we're in agreement there. Rarely, I, 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 again, I think it depends how you're defining. But it, they just said best, and I, I, I really think that it's just that. I thought you were going to say Montero, the, though. That, that was that. If I had a bet, I would have bet you would have said that. So I'm a little surprised. I, I, I would probably, you know, I might die on the hill that that's the most important in Cubs history. That was easily one of the craziest things I've ever witnessed. I mean, I, if you had told me that Wrigley Field, you know, crumbled to the ground <laughs> after that home run, I, I would have believed you. Were you watching Fowler's home run after that, or are you still in the midst of celebrating? Were your eyes on the field? No, I, I did see you that. Did see I, it. I nudged uh, the person next to me and was like, yo, he just hit another <laughs> one like when it went in the basket. I love it. Um, yeah, like I said, it, it sort of just depends on how you define it, but I, I just think like the, the sheer like absurdity of of the scenario with Bodies is is why I would say that. But I mean, look, if we're picking between the, those wonderful moments in Cubs history, I'm I'm happy to make that argument. I guess it's basically and maybe I'm saying Bodie just so that every every time we do like one of these like let's look into the past, we you know, obviously you could just sit here and say 2016 for all of those things. Mm-hmm. But just trying to mix it up a little bit, you know, spice things up. So anyway, trying to get away from talking about 2016, Brendan, what was the best <laughs> game you ever saw in person? Mine I'm definitely not going to talk about the same thing we were just talking about. So uh, I mean, best game in person I'm going to talk about it. I just talked now about thi- it. Now, this one, I think, again, if we're if we're going in the spirit of how we answered that first one, it would be like it's, in in it, the best baseball game, not like just for the Cubs, not what was the most fun. Like, what was the best baseball game you ever saw? That if somebody maybe who isn't even a fan of either team would just be like pure baseball, yeah. this was Well, great. I'm going to say it anyway. It's game five of the NLCS when the Cubs beat the Dodgers and sent everyone home. And I'm not saying that just because of the fandom of it, but look what happened that game. You had John Lester dealing, Corey. And you look at that uh, replay. He's, he's putting cutters on the black left and right. So pitching-wise, Lester executed well. Defensively, Javi Baez is making plays left and right in that game. And then you have clutch home runs by Addison Russell. You have clutch base hits by Javi Baez. You have the whole team uh, closing out to the game. From an execution perspective, I, I don't think 
I've seen a better game too. And it doesn't even like include what how they started that game with Dexter Fowler leading it off, Rizzo driving him in. So everything was almost perfectly executed following a, a stretch where they were slumping. So yeah, I mean, it is a little biased because you're seeing a playoff game, you're seeing the Dodgers lose to your team. So it's going to add uh, perspective to it. But I, I do think that was probably the best baseball game I've ever seen. Uh, that's fair. A little skewed towards the Cubs. I don't know that the Dodgers played that well in that game, but my answer is uh, Game 7 of the World Series in 2016. Uh, and not not because the Cubs win. I think most people in the game regard that as one of, if not the best games that was ever played. It's it's difficult, I think, for us People do to disagree with appreciate you, they do what? disagree with you. And like the, the counter to that point was people think the game was mismanaged. So by default, if the game is mismanaged, then it can't be, you know, a great game. Well I disagree. I, I disagree I mean, I, with I think that. from a from an entertainment standpoint, it it seems difficult to beat what ends up a one run game in extra innings. You have uh you know, obviously the Cubs jump out to the lead. You have a late tie with a, a obviously pretty insane home run from Rajai Davis, and then the way it all plays out in it, and and I think even the way that it ends with the Indians kind of sniffing coming back again off of Edwards and Montgomery in the in the, in the tenth. Like even that last bit, it, it seems like the Cubs are going to go up eight to six. They have opportunities after that to even extend the lead and in that did. top half of the tenth, and it kind of feels like okay, the Cubs have won this. They're going to break this open, and this is just how this is going to go. And the Indian, you know, the Cubs screw that up uh, with some bad at bats, and then the Indians come, you know, really close to pulling themselves even again. And so I just think, like, with the way that that all plays out, you know, you have moments like David Ross hitting a homer in his last at-bat. You have so many big-name pitchers coming in at some point in that game. I I think that that's a tough one to beat. Whether it was mismanaged, is you know, I mean, obviously, I think both managers will have questions to answer. I mean, Joe doesn't care about those <laughs> questions because they won. I don't care about those questions because they won. But I think you could question the way he managed. I think you could question the way Terry managed. Obviously, I don't think you would have drawn it up to have Michael Martinez ending that game uh, in the way that they did. So I, I guess if that takes it away, but just from a pure entertainment standpoint, I mean, you've got a lot of runs. You have so many big names, big moments, the the, the ties, the rain delay, the drama, right? Like, I, I just think it... it 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 just was such a good overall baseball game that I I, I think is is tough to beat, yeah. um, and that would be my answer. And then you know, and then obviously you add the magnitude of not only the Cubs winning and winning the World Series for the first time in 108 years, but also the Indians playing to end another significantly large drought. I just think there was so much narrative and baseball-wise in that game that it would be difficult for me. I mean, I certainly haven't watched every baseball game that's ever happened. Uh, And if you told me there was a game from 1975 that was better, I would not be able to sit here and tell you that that wasn't true. Uh, I know, like, you know, just thinking off the top of my head of games like that I remember, I wasn't there, but just that would maybe even compete with this. Like, I know when, uh, you know, Luis Gonzalez wins the World Series for the Diamondbacks Mm -hmm. against the Yankees, that series was wild. I remember that game being wild and how it ends. So I'm sure there's contenders to this, but certainly of the ones that I've seen, I have no idea how I would come up. Uh, I've been fortunate enough to go to a lot of baseball games in my life, not just Cubs games. But I have no idea how I would land on something that was better than Game 7 of of the World Series from a personal standpoint and obviously just a baseball standpoint. So the next category is prospects. Who is the best prospect that you saw in person as a prospect? Obviously not, you know, just like seeing them once they're a full-fledged Major League Baseball player. Uh, Cub-wise, I've seen every Cub prospect or every Cubs current player as a prospect because of their AFL days for the most part. So uh, best Cubs prospect was Chris Bryant, hands down. Uh, To be honest, he didn't look quite different than he currently does now. Uh, There was one moment where I was in an AFL game. There's maybe 50 to 70 people. It's a night game. It is cold. This is like, I think, late October, early November. Uh, 20 is the year he got drafted. So 
I'm watching the game and I'm about to leave the park because the Cubs are, I didn't think they were going to rally this late in the game. So Chris Bryan gets one last at bat and I'm just standing kind of like in the concession area looking through, um, you know, the, the seating like window, if you will. And Bryant takes a fastball up and away. And I don't know if you've been to the uh, Salt Lake uh, or whatever you call it, the Diamondback Stadium in Arizona, but he oh, Salt, Salt River, River Field, Fields. yeah, he puts yeah, he yeah. puts that ball, Corey, a little offset to center field to the right. That ball must have gone f- over four hundred and fifty feet. I've never seen a further baseball hit in that ballpark. I've gone, I've gone to a lot of games in that ballpark. So Brian, for me, is easily the number one prospect. Uh, number two, or I mean. Uh, this is going to be a debate, but like in terms of sheer athleticism and just hype, I did see Bryce Harper when he was a teenager in Arizona, actually not as a professional player, as legitimately a high school player. Uh, we just, I think that counts. Yeah, counts. So we had, I mean, I didn't play in the same tournament, but I did see him uh, on, on the field. So uh, Bryce Harper was remarkable, dude. Like I remember, you know, my teammates and everyone else like that he he stole the show that was the year or maybe the year before when he was on sports illustrated so we were watching him on you know youtube hitting bombs in tampa bay and the hype was there dude so all all together bryant for the cubs harper in general um a second follow-up that stands out to me is probably jorge soler i saw him when he made his like Cubs debut in an intramural game the the basically the same year he was signed or maybe he was signed that winter before that but I saw Soler like literally five feet away from me and I remember thinking wow I've, I've never seen a bigger Cubs prospect in my life from a physical point of view he was ginormous as, as at that age so I've been, I've been fortunate to see a lot of the guys come up and develop. I saw Baez as a prospect, of course. I, I saw Rizzo when he was in spring training. I don't think I saw him in the AFL. I don't know if he was ever sent out during that time. But uh, yeah, I saw most of the guys. Bryant, though, for sure. No doubt about it. Most developed prospects, most talented Cubs prospect I've ever seen. Keep your whole home running like clockwork from the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. Keep your whole home running like clockwork from the office to the game room with Xfinity Internet. You'll get the best in-home Wi-Fi experience with reliable speed and coverage. Now that's simple, easy, awesome. Go online or call 1-800-XFINITY today to learn more. Restrictions apply. All right. That's uh, a good answer. Uh, Chris Bryant is pretty good. So that's a good one. Uh, My answer is George Springer. And I know that's controversial (laughs) because he plays for the Astros. But I saw him when he was on the University of Connecticut. So I'm going all the way back to collegiate ball. Uh, when I was a student manager for the University of Michigan baseball team, I think we were in Florida for like a Big Ten Big East tournament, but don't quote me on that. This was a while ago. And I remember, you know, we knew at the time, now, you know, recently Michigan was the runner-up in the College World Series, and like the program has turned around under Eric Backage. But at the time I was there, we were really awful. Uh, nothing to do with me. I'm a world-class team manager. I, you I, I, you know, can rub up mud on baseballs like nobody else. I can get that Gatorade, get those L screens out there, like nobody's business, okay? I can set up a practice better than anybody, okay? okay. But the team was awful, <laughs> like really awful. Uh, we had some good players. Like I, I, if, if you've uh, seen the guy Ryan Lamar, who's kind of like a 25th, 26th man for a few teams in the last several years, he was there when I uh, was working there. He was like probably the best player that I worked with. Um, some other guys had like kicked around the minors and stuff, but now they're, the program is in a different place. But we knew that George Springer, like, was legit when we were at this tournament. Like, you know, we knew to have eyes on him. I I don't know that we expected him to have the career that he did, uh, but he, you know, was feasting on our pitchers and and Big Ten pitchers uh, and just ripping the ball. And it was, like, definitely one of those 
things where you knew, you know you had heard of the guy you knew like okay like this is pretty cool like we're gonna see this guy Jared Springer today like he's kind of a big deal and the minute he was up there you were like oh yeah like okay like this is not a joke like this guy is really this good he is like walloping the ball um so I I, I get it I, I see what a, you know what the deal is um I will say thinking back on this I mean this was probably in like I don't know 2010 2011 some somewhere in that range I do not remember there being any noise you know no trash can banging no noises anything like that in my memory that we know of so that that I know of yeah uh and the, you know that's all I can say about it so we did have cameras you know we were taking side by side video of all these guys for our coaches and our pitchers and stuff like that and it technically probably would have been my job to figure that out if that was happening so I don't think I know of any of that back in his UConn days you know so I don't know but that's my answer Uh, I I, you know I I worked in the Arizona Summer League with the Padres uh, in 2000 I think the summer of 2000 you may have seen Rizzo Um, during that time then right was that that was that a crossover or was he with the Red Sox still he was not with mm. the. You think I wouldn't have talked about that ever? I, I mean, I don't know. You never know. I think I would have talked about that, Brendan, if I was doing <laughs> video for the Arizona Summer League Padres, and Anthony Freakin Rizzo was one of the guys I was working with. No, he was not there at the time. Uh, but I remember, like Tyron Guerrero, I was mentioning to you before. He's a reliever. Sits triple digits now in the majors, and he was one of the guys that was out there when I was. And I always tell this story like at the time, he was the bane of my existence because it's a developmental league, it's it's you know, it's low ball, and it's about just getting the, the, the guys reps and trying to you know, form them and shape them and stuff like that. And his control was really bad, you guys. And when you're running video for these teams and you got to be there for the whole game charting velo and stuff like that when the guys don't have control and they come in and walk five guys and every at bat is eight nine ten pitches that's what pushes the games to you know the four or five hour mark uh and as an employee you remember the names of the guys who were typically the ones running up the game length and tyron guerrero was one of those guys but considering he's a major league pitcher now he's obviously figured that out which is the whole point of getting those reps in the arizona summer league so it all works out in the end uh i also lived with jose leclerc who was on the rangers uh, I believe he was their closer for at least a little bit. He was. And when I was in the Dominican Republic. Um, so that's pretty cool. I mean, obviously I watched him play. That that was, uh, you know, I mean, that's Dominican Summer League. So that's, you know, currently, I, I guess technically about as low as uh, of, of pro ball as, as, as we have here um, before they get up to, you know, rookie ball or high A or whatever in, in the U.S., but that was kind of the opposite of Leclerc or uh, of Tyron Guerrero. Jose Leclerc, when I was with the DSL Rangers, was was the guy that it was like, okay, Leclerc is coming in. He's going to pump strikes. He's way better than these guys. You knew. I, I don't know if I would have said my scouting ability is not you know uh, the best. I would say, but. I wouldn't have said like, oh yeah, this guy will be a major leaguer, but you knew he was better than the competition he was facing. He was not long for the Dominican Summer League when I was there. You knew this guy can throw strikes. He's got command of a few pitches. He's, you know, his velo is is getting up there. Like this guy's not going to be here long. He's going to get a shot to go to the U.S. and and make waves through the system. And obviously he has, uh, although I think, I I can't remember, but I think he had some injuries or struggled a little bit. But uh, good guy, good pitcher. So uh, those are my answers. Uh, I'm sure there's some other ones in there. I I mean, I'd have to go and look at these summer league rosters. I mean, this this was the summer, I think, of 2010 or 2011. So who knows who was lurking on some of these rosters that maybe I just didn't even realize I was watching. Uh, But those are the the names that, that stand out. Uh, so we will end here on defensive plays. And this is, I, I feel like this is a tougher one just because I don't know that it's as easy to maybe remember. I mean, maybe it is for you, Brendan, but I, I don't always remember like the defensive plays that I saw. And I, and I think maybe we're a little spoiled. And I, and I think a lot of teams probably have somebody like this that they could point to. Um, you know, but I've, in person, I've watched... Javi Baez and Jason Hayward make countless good plays 
right? Like, do I remember exactly which game it was or when it happened? Like, probably not. You know, there's obviously some, but I feel like it's different for home runs. Like, you always remember, like, oh, yeah, I was at this walk-off home run or I was at, you know, this game for Chris Bryant or something like that. But I feel like, you know, a lot the, the discourse isn't always like, oh, yeah, I was there when he made this sick, you know, diving play or something right. like that. But do you have one that, that comes to memory? It's spring training, but I can't ignore it. Uh, you posted about it, actually, with the Javi Baez threads on a daily basis. Javi against the Rangers, I believe it was. Forgot what year it was, but Javi is playing second base. He ranges to his left on a chopper over first base, and he kind of slides on one leg, but the momentum because he's sprinting to that area and kind of playing an offset shift. When he fields the ball on a slide, his momentum, he does so in a way where he spins around so fast. And then the most remarkable part of that play is he uses his knees, Corey, to shuffle and to balance himself for the throw on the out to first base. So that that was unbelievable as and I, I I'm always biased towards infielders because that's what I played but when you see anyone with that ability to control their body their momentum to get a strong throw off Javi encompasses that he makes it and we just talked about this but he makes it look so effortless but he can control his body and do weird things with his momentum to get a, a good throw off a fast throw off and yeah, I'll have to go back and, and find that video, but that that was remarkable, Corey. And there, I mean, I wasn't at this particular game. I was at that game, but the second follow-up, I just want to throw it out there, even though I wasn't there, was the uh, game, I think it was game three of the NLDS in 2016. Javi again at second base. And he's ranging to his right up the middle of second base, fields the ball, dives, gets up, and he like... I don't know how he does this, but he somehow contorts his body off his right foot and gets a strong throw off, which was called an out at first, but they overturned it. But the the way he can get these throws off with his footwork and his body facing a completely other direction is unlike anyone we, we've ever seen, man. Even like some of the greatest shortstops of all time. You never saw Omar Vizquel making those types of plays. Never saw, and he was never known as a defensive infielder, but Jeter never made those types of plays. You don't even see that today with like Lindor and some of the good defensive shortstops like Marcus Simeon. You don't see anyone do these types of plays. But yeah, Javi, spring training, going to his left, fielding it, shuffling on his kneecaps to make a throw is unbelievable. Yeah, I, I, I think, again, like, I mean, there's so many plays that, that Javi's made. I think at least just over this past period of Cubs baseball, we've been very fortunate to watch some very good defensive players at a number of positions, not just uh, shortstop or second base. Um, you know, I mean, I think, I mean, how many great throws and great catches and diving catches. I mean, we always, you know, it's always talked about, but nobody comes in on a sinking liner better in right field than Jason Hayward. And we've just seen him. I mean, you're spoiled. I mean, that's kind of what I was saying at the beginning. Like, I don't, I don't remember the best Jason Hayward you know, play like that that I've seen because I, I mean, I've I've been lucky enough to see it many times. Uh, I think if you've been to one game at Wrigley Field in the last since he's been here, you've probably seen him do it at least once. Um, but like off the top of my head, I, I think really the best and most difficult defensive play I've seen in person was a slow bouncer to Chris Bryant off the bat of Michael Martinez in getting. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> I'm kidding. We could just it. talk about Game Seven the whole time, but I, the, you know, it was. I mean, it is a good play. He thought he was going to slip. It was wet, like you know. So, but I digress. That's not my real answer. I swear. But it was a great play, and they it did, was. did win them the World win Series. Win the World Series. So correct. you could make an argument. I mean, now I'm talking myself into it, but I think the answer would be uh, some of those plays from Baez in the NLCS against the Dodgers. Uh, You and I, or I I went to, you know, we were at the games in Chicago and Los Angeles, and I think the the ones that come to mind, um, I shared this one in that Cubs Insider Baez thread too, uh, where Adrian Gonzalez bunts 
and Hobby has to come in from second base. From the grass, he, by he the starts way. on that. Right. Yeah, he starts on the grass and bare hands this to get Gonzalez. It's just an absurd play. I mean, Gonzalez is slower than a turtle in quicksand. If that, I don't know if that's like a thing people say, but it should be. But either way, it's just like, I mean, he literally comes from the outfield grass onto the infield grass and like bare hands this ball. It's just an absurd, or maybe it's on the third. I don't know. It's an absurd play. It's a totally absurd play. And, and the ease with which he makes it look is ridiculous. And that is also the play that gives us the famous Anthony Rizzo, John Lester, I think we got him gif, mm-hmm. uh, where they're looking at the video screen. Uh, so that one comes to mind for sure. I was also talking to you about the throw where it's all it's all loser Adrian Gonzalez. I love really, it. Somehow. Makes it better. Uh, where Hayward gets him at the plate and Wilson tags him on the arm and there's the debate about whether he was safe or out even though he's out and he posted a picture on Twitter that he was out for some reason. But that was just such a huge play and we've seen Hayward make so many good throws. It's It's one of the best parts of his game, his arm. But to make that perfect of a throw in that moment, in that game, and where that series was, uh, just huge. I mean, just a mass, a, a great play, a great throw, but then you factor in like the environment and how the gravity of that play, and I think that that, that gets up there. And then I think of the double play that he turns uh, where, you know, he comes in on the ball and he has to Tolls is running like on the inside of the baseline going to second and he has to come in tag him get the ball out of his glove and then throw to first to get the double play in game six uh and that's another one that 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 comes to mind uh it's a good one as a really good one but I mean man like I mean if we're gonna do Javi Baez plays I mean you could pick I mean every time he it's the same as Hayward it's like anytime he's out there he's making absurd plays I'm learning that from resharing all these videos I mean the amount of times he's throwing guys out when he's playing short from essentially shallow left field I mean it's just totally absurd and I mean sure some of the guys it's you know it's Melky Cabrera running down the line or whatever right like they're very slow but still it's like this guy's ranging so I mean far. he's the best just he's the best defensive the from he's the best defensive player I've ever seen. it's crazy yeah, he's he's the best infielder yeah. I've ever seen there's no another another that I was thinking of and you know this is obviously a strange play but I was thinking of that one in the World Series where Ross drops the or bobbles the pop-up but Rizzo catches it anyway (laughs) you know how that classifies as a good or weird or whatever defensive play I'm not really sure but yeah it was it was memorable so uh I think I think those are up there but that that might be one where like it's very possible that I'm forgetting uh you know some of these like it it just it just is one of those things where I, I for whatever reason at least I don't remember I remember the plays but I don't like categorize the games that way like oh yeah I I was there for that oh that's the game where you know Jason Hayward did this or Javi Baez did this I kind of just appreciate it all I guess um, you know Dexter Fowler I mean in those playoffs in yeah, 2016 made some incredible game diving catches sure. he had. Yeah, he had some games where he was just all over the place. Uh, you know, I mean, we've seen Almora make some pretty ridiculous catches. Uh, I think a lot of these guys are, are up there. I, I I must have been at at least one of the times where Rizzo was on the tarp making a one of those catches, I, I assume. Yeah, I don't like this. Uh, you know, you, you and I both, I mean, and a lot of us went to games where Derek Lee was at Ooh. first base. I mean, he was a phenomenal he defender. Was. So I'm sure we've seen our fair share of... Same wonderful with, same plays. with the Ramos, too. That, uh, that yeah. uh, arm side dive down the line. Yes, a classic. classic. Yeah. Yes. A classic for sure. But I think that uh, I think that wraps up our, our little segment here of, of the best. Uh, I, I did my best, I swear, not to just answer every one of those questions with Game 7 of the World Series. How bad. I would have answered that for prospects, I don't know. But if you gave me enough time, I'm sure I could figure out how to get there. Yeah. Uh, so that's what we have for you. Um, as always, we appreciate you guys joining us while we don't have baseball to talk about. Uh, you know, as usual, like we don't we don't want you guys loading up and downloading this podcast if it's a waste of time. Uh, but at the same time, we want to talk about baseball. We want to talk about something, and hopefully, uh, for anyone out there, it's at least somewhat of a distraction or something else to listen to for an hour a week. And uh, I think that's the best that we can hope for. So we will keep an eye on the developments with Major League Baseball. Again, it it does sound like they're going to work hard to make something happen 
what that is, we don't really know that. When that is, we don't really know that. But they're they're pretty determined to get something on the table here, uh, so that it is not just a lost year completely. So we will continue to monitor that and keep you guys up to date with that. And like I said in our earlier discussion, that the second we have some concrete details, you can obviously rely on us not to be waxing poetic about uh, the 2016 season and digging into what this means for the Cubs, what this means for their players, their payroll, the contracts, etc. We will break that all down as soon as we can do that. Uh, But until then, again, we thank you guys for joining us. Uh, And as always, hope this podcast finds you guys in a good place, that you're safe, healthy, staying at home, social distancing, and all that, and and we can all get through this together. Uh, But hopefully you guys are okay and and getting through this all right, and and we can get back to uh, watching baseball, whatever that looks like in the year 2020 together at some point. So thank you again, as always, for joining us, and we will talk to you again soon. Go Cubs! Bet Saratoga from anywhere this summer with Naira Bets, the official betting partner of Saratoga Racecourse. Naira Bets players enjoy world-class HD live streaming covering races worldwide, instant replays, exclusive bonuses, and earn points on every bet. New customers that sign up today receive a bonus match on their first deposit up to $200 with promo code SPA. Join today at nyrabets.com and make sure to use promo code SPA to earn your sign-up bonus up to $200. It just doesn't feel like summer without an ice-cold Coca-Cola in your hand. Stop by your local convenience store today and grab a 20-ounce bottle of Coca-Cola or Coca-Cola Zero Sugar. Or pick up even more delicious refreshment with a 20-ounce bottle of Diet Coke, Sprite, or Fanta. So no matter how you soak in that summer sun, at home or on the go, grab an ice-cold Coca-Cola today and enjoy. Kaiser is off the chain. Everything is in one place for you. Your x-ray will be done there. The doctor will see you there. The labs are there for you. And then the nurses that work with you at Kaiser, they make you feel so at home. They're there to meet your needs. I would not be alive today if I had not had Kaiser permanently. I feel really, really great knowing there's a place that I can go to make sure that I can maintain good health on a regular basis. Every medical case is unique. Kaiser Foundation Health Plan, the Middle United States, 2101 East Jefferson Street, Rockville, Maryland, 20852. Sugar Ray Leonard, Roberto Duran, Marvelous Marvin Hagler, and Thomas Hearns. Legends, whose four-way rivalry defined one of the greatest eras in boxing history. Relive their decade of dominance in the new Showtime sports documentary, The Kings, a four-part series premiering Sunday, June 6th, only on Showtime.